This is the Unity Community of Central Oregon podcast. Victor, thank you so much. I want to read a poem from Donna Benjamin that is dedicated to her father, Isaac Ellenan Benjamin. And it's called, What I Miss the Most. What I miss the most is holding my father's hand. That simple, comforting act was as if there was a portal of protection that opened up. And in that moment, that precious moment, I felt safe, cared for, and expansive. The world fell away, and there was only a vortex of love a timeless moment in a stormy sea of life. Those hands held books that he read to me at night. Those hands held mine as we walked to elementary school together. He would say goodbye a block away, then watch from the corner to make sure I got there safely. He told me this decades later as a reflection of his love for me, wanting me to feel independent yet reassuring me he was always there for me. Those hands split the steaming hot salt bagel we got on the ride home from our Sunday bagel runs to Oasis on Horace Harding Boulevard. Just him and me sneaking one in before we got home to share with my mother and brother. (laughs) Best bagel ever. Those hands held miniature golf clubs that he swung to be there for me in my teens. Those hands drove me to endless parties and gatherings until I could drive, and most especially to college. Those were my favorite trips, a six-hour drive of catching up and airing some trepidations about what's to come in that semester. And he would always reassure me, you're going to do great, kiddo. And the times we got to dance together were magical and special. If your father is still here, call him, write to him, see him. I know it's complicated. I could write volumes, yet in the end, it is half of what makes us who we are. Our lineage is tied to all of his lineage, known or unknown, That special bond is unbreakable. If your father is gone, know that he did his best to make the world right. And if he stumbled, it might have been because his father did. Forgive. Love never dies. And the hand that you hold today passes along the love exponentially. And the world is made right again. What I miss the most is holding his hand as he lived his last months in rehab in the hospital. I created that portal of love for him, and he left knowing he was loved and appreciated. What I miss the most is holding my father's hand. That's so beautiful, Donna. Thank you. she's an amazing poet she wrote that last night she just comes up with these things so spontaneously Father's Day is complicated 
It's really complicated because none of us got perfect fathers. Some of us got fathers that were really badly messed up. And some of us got fathers that are pretty darn good but not perfect. Some of, some of us got fathers that were gone completely and we never knew them. And so, and then some of you are fathers and you have your own complicated relationships with your kids. And just like mothers, you have the feeling that you didn't get it right. No matter what you do, you're messing up somehow because there's no perfect. We don't get it right. And we all have the choice of what we want to focus on. Are we going to focus on what they did wrong? Or are we going to focus on what they did right? In the sharing, Sylvia was sharing with me, you know, I know she'd had a complicated relationship with her birth father, and yet he was the one, she said, who taught her how to do all of these skills. So she was tearing out floorboards and peeling off popcorn ceiling and doing all this renovation during COVID in her house because her father taught her how to do that. And so she was really grateful for that fatherly influence. I look at things, you know, my father had a terrible temper, so much that I, I'm not cool with anger. It's, you know, talk about the dance of anger. I am like the character in Hitch. I am so awkward doing that dance of anger. I, I hate it because of my father. And yet my father also was the one whose tears would well up in his eyes when he said goodbye every time. My mother was kind of, you know, all right, goodbye. You know, not warm and fuzzy at all. But my dad was. My dad was the one he taught me. I remember because I worked in in, um, the merchandise department that he did in, in Feline's. And he taught me. Now you need to kibitz with the with the people that come, the customers, you don't you don't just be business like with them. Chat them up, get to know them. That's how you make sales. But he was teaching me also just how to be a decent human being. You know, I, he had a standing offer to teach me how to smoke cigarettes because he was a chain smoker. And when I called my cards on that, and I said, "Okay, I want to learn." Um, he talked to me about why did I want to learn and it was because somebody sometime might offer me a cigarette and I wanted to be able to look cool and so instead I got a march to your own drummer lecture that night just the two of us and nobody ever offered me a cigarette because I wasn't even cool enough to be offered one so but but he saved me from that because he could have just said, all right, here's how you do it and, and taught me. So, you know, it's I have beautiful, beautiful memories of him and also memories that are more difficult. And I know that that's true of every one of you. Some of you were raised by a man that wasn't your birth father. But I read this quote today about being able to raise a child, being brave enough to raise a child is what makes you a father. It isn't, it isn't just the genes. It's that bravery because it's a brave act 
fatherhood is complicated in our culture because it's ever evolving. There was a time when a father's job was to bring home the bacon, right? And if you were mouthing off to your mother while he was at work, then his job was to smack you and get you back in line. That was his job. And if he did that, it was good. But that isn't true today. I, all of the people who were in my vintage got spanked, right? It was, you were an unusual person if you didn't get spankings, if you're my age. But there were no spankings with my kids. And so I know that that was uneven. It isn't like all of a sudden this year hit and everyone stopped spanking. It's an, it's an evolutionary process. But if you were to survey fathers today, the likelihood that they're spanking is way, way, way down. They had to be raised in a very abusive home and, and not able to make that transition to consciousness for them to still be spanking. For most people my age, our, our fathers were not terribly emotional. They weren't big on saying, I love you. But that's not true today. The men who are fathers today are having snuggling time with their kids. They tell them, I love you. They're, they're embracing the feminine side of themselves as well as the masculine. And we're having, we're having a society where we don't have such sharply divided gender roles. People get to be way more fluid in how they express, way more whole. And that affects fathering. And it's not fair to judge the fathers of yesterday on the standards of today. We stand on their shoulders. Because of who our parents were, we get to be the parents that we have been. And our children will get to be the parents that they get to be. There's some of you sitting here today, little girls, that will have children someday, perhaps. And the world that you bring children into will be completely different than the world we know. And all we can do is celebrate who they are as they are. There's this wonderful story in the Bible about the prodigal son. And the prodigal son is the screw-up in the family. And then there's the other son who's the perfect child. And there's the father who loves them all because he cannot see that there is a difference between them and him. Because everything that he is is theirs. When we talk about God as a father, which is a metaphor not a reality, it's a metaphor, a way to think about something that is so big that there are no words for it. And so we stumble with human words and images and try to understand what cannot be understood. 
we, we think about God as a father because there is a love that is present in all that is. We are created from love. Now, of course, this only works if you had a loving father. Because if you didn't, then you have a you know, twisted idea of God. And, and it works better if you just go into the transcendent and skip that metaphor. <laughs> but, but the whole idea is that when in that story of the prodigal son, the one that's the screw-up goes off and he explores, he lives. He goes out and tries new things. And he's kind of selfish, and he messes up. Until, and finally he comes to his senses and he says, maybe I, you know, I could get a job working for my father. Maybe I could, I could be a servant. And his father is like, no way, you're my son. Let's have a feast, you're back. You're, you're, part, you're recognizing again that what I am is what you are. You are claiming the heritage And that's what we talk about in unity. When we talk about the 12 powers, the 12 powers are these qualities like faith and strength and and life and love, wisdom. They are not outside of us. They are part of all that is, and we can claim that because we are of the divine. And that's what the Father is saying to the prodigal son. And then the perfect son is saying, hey, what do you mean you're giving him a party? I've been here doing all the work. I've been, I've been perfect. Where's my party? And the father says to him, don't you understand? Everything that I have is yours. You are of me. We are one. That's what he's telling him. So for all of us, whether we have considered ourselves screw-ups or perfect or somewhere in between, whatever it is we've aspired to be in life, we need to know that we are of the Father. We are the creative life force here expressing. When I was preparing for this talk, I've been reading this book called The Spiritual Child, It's by Lisa Miller. It's a wonderful book, the parts that I've read so far. And I read something so surprising in here. She was talking about how they've done all these studies. And so she was exploring this in 1997, just to peg it in time. They had done all these studies on mothers who were depressed and the likelihood of their children to be depressed and their grandchildren to be depressed. And they, they had followed these families through 30, 40 years studying this. And what she discovered was missing was the whole element of spirituality. And she was really curious about how, how does that affect whether or not you're depressed? And what she discovered, she said she was on the subway one day, and, um, well, she was first standing on the subway station. This is in New York, and piles and piles of people, and they're all crowding onto the subway. And she was so surprised when she got on because they're all jammed on this hot day on one end of the subway car. And the other end of the car is empty except for this one guy who is a homeless man 
And he's, he's sitting there with this fast food box of chicken. And he's yelling, hey, want to come sit with me? You want some chicken? And he's yelling that to everybody that got on. And the people are just like, and they're cramming on the other end of it. So when she got on, she went and she sat on his end, kind of across from him, but she didn't, she didn't speak to him. And then at the next stop, this couple gets on, this very elegant grandmother and an eight-year-old granddaughter, and they are dressed up in their Sunday finest with gloves and pearls and all of this, and he does his thing. You know, everybody kind of watches because they know what's coming, and he says, hey, you want to sit with me? You want some chicken? And she said what she noticed was they just nodded to each other, and they went and they sat down beside him. And then he says, want some chicken? And they said, no thanks, nodding to each other. And he had a couple of other things that he said, and they would nod to each other and respond. And he he just calmed down. And she realized the nod between them was the grandmother transmitting to the granddaughter and the granddaughter transmitting her understanding that there was a spiritual principle at play here. Maybe you remember, if you've read the Gospels, whatever you do to the least of these, you do to me. That was Jesus' teaching that what we see out here in the community is the outpicturing of the divine. It's not separate. We cannot treat the divine any differently than we're treating the person who's right in front of us. And that was a spiritual teaching. And she was embodying unity's fifth principle, which is don't just talk about it and think about it, act. She was showing her granddaughter what does that look like to find the sacred everywhere. And so this was her, the answer to what she'd been looking for. This is how it gets transmitted. And what she found was startling research results that when, when a mother had spirituality, there was like eh, a little bit of a little bit less likely to pass on depression. If the child was spiritual, there was a little bit less tendency to pass on depression. But when there was a shared spirituality between parent and child, I mean, in this study it was mothers, but it would be the same with fathers, or any significant person in the child's life. So it could be a grandparent, it could be an uncle or an aunt. It could be a pastor or a coach or a teacher. But someone who had a significant role when they shared the same spirituality, the results went up to 80% 
less likely to pass on depression. And when you looked at the third generation, so now we're talking about the grandchildren, it went up to 90%. Think about the epidemic of depression we have in our world. Think about the medications that have mixed effects. Think about all the strategies that we use. And if there were one that was 80 to 90% effective, wouldn't you want it? We, here at Unity, have that available to us. We came, people in my generation, came through a period of time when the traditional religions that we were raised in stopped working for most of us. If we're sitting here, probably they're not still working for us or we'd be sitting there. So whenever you go through, like think about a, a, a crab that outgrows his shell, he's got to run naked to find another shell that it now fits. And so we all did that culturally. We went from one looking for another, but in the in-between, we didn't really have something. And so there's a generation that gets caught in there, perhaps, that really didn't get that spiritual teaching. But we have a chance now with the generation in front of us. And... The thing that's so beautiful about it is it doesn't have to be a religion. It's spiritual principle that we're teaching. And so even, like I, I read that because I had a strong Catholic upbringing. I definitely shared with my parents that tradition. And I'm not prone to depression at all. Even though I have a mom that is. But when I raised my kids, I didn't have a tradition to share with them because I was in that in-between place. But I did teach them about nature. I did teach them about Mother Earth and respecting Mother Earth. And I loved them. I loved them deeply and I showed it. And that love... That love is protective. So what I want to say to all of us is recognize the importance of that. Really love the children that are in our lives. We create, as a community, we create a field of love that is supportive of parents that is supportive of the children, that makes love more tangible in our world. This is a gift. When we say in our mission statement every week, we are here to embody love. This is not fluffy words. This is a mission. We are here to love one another actively. We all know, if we have been parents, that there are days when loving that child is a mountain to climb because they have done stuff, 
you know, whether it's just, and they won't stop, or it's done something, they got in trouble with the law, whatever it is. There have been days when it's been so hard, and that's when having a field of love to support us is so valuable. And we get to be that for one another. Right now, we're small as a group, again, because of the fragmentation that happened during COVID. But that's just for now. That won't be forever. People will feel safe again. People will come back. We've already reached people that didn't know about us until we went online. There are people in this room who are members today. I'm looking at Laurel. She's one. She didn't ever get to be in this building until COVID had already happened. She hadn't found us. There are other people that are, are just finding us today. Brian's another one. He, was, he came after COVID and the shutdown. So our, our reach is moving out and we have to have faith and know that that's true. And as we know that is truth, as we really embody the love that we are and reach out to others with us, we create the field of love that makes more love happen. There's no scarcity. Love begets love. And the more we love, the more there is to share. So, on this Father's Day, let's not only love our fathers, let's not only respect ourselves if we are fathers, but let us father the world in being a source of love. Because that's why we are here. Namaste. Namaste.